But he talked about the new wineskins that are forming and how God is beginning to build new wineskins. And one of the things that we have to do is we have to begin be willing to move with that new wineskin. There was a man by the name of Peter Wagner. Some of you probably heard of him. Some of you may have met him. He was one of the pioneers of the moves of God, I believe, in America. And one of the things I noticed about him years ago that Peter Wagner was able to shift, even as he grew older in age, he continued to shift his paradigm and the way that he thought. He saw the apostolic reformation moving forward in the church before anyone else saw it, and he began to identify it as the new apostolic reformation. He began to identify that back in the early 90s. He began calling it that when nobody knew what an apostle was. He actually gave Cheryl and I a, a, he called it a mantle. It's a mantle they had made of the new wine skins for new wine. Say new wine skins for new wine. And I so appreciate him giving us that. And Cheryl, she wants to wear it as a scarf, so I'll let her wear it this morning. But new wineskins are formed, and it's very important that you are willing to move and shift into the new wineskin with the Lord. Otherwise, you get left behind. And I'm not talking about the movie. I wish you never made that movie. But I'm talking about being left behind now. And how the children of Israel got left behind when they could not shift their thinking into a new wineskin of possessing the land. They always thought, as they, the original group that came out of Egypt, even as it was time for them to shift over into Canaan land, they were not able to because of their unbelief. You want to, where's the gate? You want, Natalie's over there if you want to let her take him up there. They were not able to shift because of their unbelief, and so they continued to stay in that old wineskin. And so the Lord judged them because of that. And when he judged them, he told them, he said, listen, your carcasses are going to die in this wilderness except Joshua and Caleb and everyone 21 years of age and younger. And so he had to wait 40 years, another generation to arise. And one of the things that Chuck talked about when he was here is that we've got to break postponement off of us and begin moving with momentum. Say momentum. Momentum's a powerful, powerful thing. You can watch it in a football team when they're playing on the field. One team can be behind, and all of a sudden, something shifts on that team that's behind, and they begin gaining the momentum, and all of a sudden, they come back to win the game. And God wants you and I to win the game today. And so, <clears throat> it's important that we begin shifting. And in Matthew chapter 9, I'm going to read from verse 17. It's not on your page here because I put decided to throw this in later he says nor do men put new wine into old wineskins otherwise the wineskins burst and the wine pours out and the wineskins are ruined but they put new wine into fresh wineskins and both are preserved I'll talk a little bit more about this scripture next week one of the things I'll share with you briefly right now is that 
once you've been in the old wineskin a very long time, sometimes it's hard for you to shift into the new wineskin because you think the old is better. All of us had that, have that tendency. None of us like what is called change. We like for everything to stay the same, nothing to upset our boat. Let's keep everything the same. But God loves you and I too much to allow us to stay the way that we are. He loves us too much to allow his body to stay the way that she is. He's moving. I may, I may even talk about some of the wineskin shifts that I have seen since I have been a Christian. I've seen many wineskin shifts. The greatest wineskin shift that I went through was in 2000, from 2000 to 2003. It seemed like God was constantly changing my paradigm. You see, a wineskin is a mind skin. It has everything to do with the way you think. It's like a mind skin. And if your mind is wrapped around something old, it'll never think that the new is worth anything. I remember whenever Cheryl and I got filled with the Holy Ghost back in Alabama, we actually had death threats against us. You wouldn't think that, but back in the 70s in a rural town, they thought you were a cult. Matter of fact, I don't need to say that because somebody might be listening. But we had death threats against us. We had letters sent to us telling us to leave the county, never come back, those kind of things. Because we had embraced a new mind skin or wine skin. It was the wine skin of the Holy Spirit. We were speaking in tongues. And our former associates, our former people that we hung out with didn't like that. A lot of, some of our family didn't like that. But however, our desire to flow with the Lord was greater than the desire to please man. And so, you know, we're always wanting to please somebody. But the thing is, is when God begins moving and shifting, you have to decide then, am I going to flow with the Lord? Am I going to flow with what man wants? So listen to this. I, I, I'm I, I, I'm going to mention several different wineskins, and I wrote this the other day on Facebook, and as I was meditating all this, I decided to include this in here. Holy Spirit right now is creating a structure for sons and daughters to operate from. A new wineskin is forming for sons and daughters in 2019, and spiritual fathers and mothers will arise on the scene, as did Elijah and Deborah breaking off illegitimacy, releasing the spirit of adoption, and building an army of watchmen prophets. These will possess the land. This is the new breed, a Joshua generation. Are you ready? Now, you all, if you ever see one of my posts, you need to go down and read all the comments on my posts. Because I put stuff on there that's edgy. I don't put, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I put edgy stuff on there because I want to stretch people into the new wineskin. So when I put this on there, a lady, she says, you're taking me down a rabbit trail. I don't even know where you're going. I didn't answer her back, but my thought was, because I have found that when people want to battle with you on Facebook, it's best not to answer them back. I always let other people do that. And uh, <clears throat> she said, you're going down a rabbit trail. I don't even know where you're going. And I thought to myself, if you were a son or daughter, you would know where I'm going. 
Thank you, I will. You see, the structure and framework the Lord is unfolding today is a structure and framework not of preachers, not of pastors, not of apostles, not of evangelists, not of teachers, not of prophets. He's beginning to form a framework of fathers and mothers. And this is more important because a father and mother will begin to disciple sons and daughters. Anybody can get in a pulpit and preach. But you, when you have sons and daughters, you leave a legacy behind you. You leave someone who's taken up your mantle. And they're beginning to do what you did and even greater works than what you did because they're getting that double portion anointing. So you, if you look at one of the frameworks in the scriptures, there was a framework of Elijah and Elisha. It's a very important framework here. And we're going to turn there. Go to, in your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 9. Going to make you read a little bit today or open your Bible a little bit today. <laughs> First Kings chapter 19. Now this is just after Elijah has run away from Jezebel. And the Lord says to him as he begins to restore him, what are you doing here? He actually was saying, why do you have this frame of mind? Why are you thinking this way? And you get into verse 16, the Lord says to him, let's, let's go up to verse 15. And the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazel king over Aram. And Jehu the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Saphat of Abelmethoth, you shall anoint as prophet. Now grab this. In your place. Now everything about Elijah is about to shift. Not because God was mad with him. But God is about to raise him up as a father. Not just a prophet. But as a father. <clears throat> and he says to him. You're going to anoint him. You're going to raise him up in your place. And if you look with me. And down in verse 19. <clears throat> it says. So he departed from there. And found Elisha the son of Saphat. While he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him. And he was with the 20th. I love this because automatically you see Elisha's operating with a governmental mantle. He has actually 24 oxen are there. But he's with the 12th pair, which stands for government. 24 is the elders of the church. Uh, and, and several other things that 24 means through the scriptures. And it says, and Elijah passed over him. And through, let me have my mantle back, Cheryl. <clears throat> I was going to let you wear it, but I'm taking it back for right now. You're going to have to follow me a little bit this morning, Rob, okay? I apologize, man. So <clears throat> Elijah walks by Elisha, and he casts his mantle on him. He doesn't give it to him. It just falls on him. And he just keeps on going. And if something has happened to Elisha, as this mantle has hit him, something shifts about this guy. I know the rest of you want to get this too. <laughs> something happens to him. Something has fallen on him. Something has taken place in his life that's <clears throat> totally different from what he was doing. He begins to shift. His heart begins to shift. Everything about him starts shifting. 
And it says in verse 20, And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again. For what have I done to you? This is not the first time that Elijah tells Elisha, his, his son, spiritual son, Stay here or go back. He told him that several other times. And you get over into where Elijah is translated and taken up into heaven. <clears throat> he tells him there, don't stay here with me. You go back. It says in verse 21, so he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen. That means that he took everything that he used to be and he burned it in fire. He left the past behind him. He cooked the oxen. And, and gave it to the people, and they all ate. So he actually burned up and had fed everybody his former occupation, what he was doing. And then he arose, say he arose, and followed Elijah and ministered to him. Now, I come across men and women who go to Bible college. Let me tell you what Bible college is good for. Bible college is good for learning the Bible, but that's about it, if you have good professors. They do not teach you how to minister in a church or to a congregation. They do not teach you that at all. I come across them all the time. They tell me they didn't prepare me for this in Bible school. They didn't prepare on the day-in, day-out ordeal Sometimes bliss, sometimes misery. <clears throat> I meant to say ministry. Of, <laughs> of having to deal with people. And so they come to me and say, hey, this didn't prepare me. And it never will. Because I believe, and when you look at the scriptures, I believe you find it's true. That if you plan to be a minister, or you plan to grow in the Lord, you need to attach yourself to a spiritual father and begin following them and ministering to them. <clears throat> when you do, you begin receiving an impartation of who they are. And I know religious spirits and religious friends aren't going to like what I'm saying right now. Because I've heard people tell me, they say, I follow no man. And I tell them, I said, that's not true. They said, yes, it is. I follow no man. See, that's a religious terminology that we use everybody follows somebody are you following the right person that's important because what they are they're going to pass on to you and even if you say you're following no man you actually follow your train of thought you follow your paradigm you live out of that some good some not so good and so one of the attributes there of Elijah was that he was a father. And I see, what I see right now forming is men and women becoming fathers and mothers. But what's taking place is that these men and women are not fathering and mothering out of their personality. I see them beginning to move into the secret place. This is what God's been sharing with me over and over. I need to do a whole teaching on the secret place. They're moving into the secret place where they are transformed. You see, the Bible says after the fall, when Adam raised up a son, that son was in his own likeness. Had Adam not fell, he would have been in the image of God. 
But because of the fall, he was in the image of Adam. And until you and I get into the secret place, we raise up friends who are come beside us, but we're never imparting to them. We just become a peer with them. And I see fathers and mothers get into the secret place so that their life is transformed, so that they begin to change, so that they begin becoming that father or mother. And by the way, this has nothing to do with age. I actually was a spiritual father to my dad before he died. Has not a thing to do with age. You might think, well, this has to do with age, but it doesn't have a thing to do with age. Some people need to have a younger spiritual parent minister to them to break some of that complacency off of them. Then you have Deborah in Judges 4. I love, I've always loved Deborah in the book of Judges. Look in the fourth chapter. I guess of all the judges that came on the scene in the book of Judges, I like her story better than any of them. I do like the others. But hers stands out. And in Judges chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, now Deborah, a prophetess, now remember this. Deborah was a prophet, wife of Lepidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah. One translation calls it the Deborah tree. Between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now she sent and summoned Barak. Now listen to this. The son of Abinoam from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun. And I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops to the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. Then Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Here we see, and I'll talk more about this in a little bit, Deborah rising on the scene as a prophetess, a spiritual mother. And it goes on to say that we're going to read in chapter 5 here in a few minutes that she identified herself as a mother of Israel. Look in Judges chapter 5. Beginning in verse 6. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted. I'd encourage you to go and read these chapters. Remember Deborah, remember Barak, remember Sisera, and remember Jael. Very, four very important names for you to remember in this story. It said that in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted. Well, the reason the highways were deserted is that Sisera was wrecking havoc in Israel. And so nobody was going down main roads such as I-95. They were going down winding roads that nobody ever used. They were using backcountry roads and hillbilly roads and roads that, you know, passed through the woods and these kind of things that they were using. And then it says, travelers went about roundabout ways. The peasantry, meaning village life, had ceased. They ceased in Israel. 
until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose as a mother in Israel. New gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. Now, I love this because it tells us how both of these two things tells us how that spiritual fathers and mothers are on the increase. You may look at it more in a minute, but Malachi 4 even talks about the Lord turning the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers lest he come and smite the land with a curse. I've been saying this for a couple of years now. America does not have a carbon footprint problem. America has a sin problem. America has a fatherless problem. That's the problem we have in America. You can attribute it to carbon footprint. You can attribute it to the cows. You can attribute it to the cars or the airplanes and all that stuff. But I promise you this. If the church of America ever did at 2 Chronicles 7 14, you'd see that hole in the ozone close in. You would see the climates begin to shifting. You'd see the fish. They wouldn't have to control the fishing out here in the ocean. There's plenty of fish out there. You wouldn't have to control the red tide because all of that would be healed. If the Church of America ever did 2 Chronicles 7, 14. There's portions of us doing that. January 9th through the 12th here. We're doing three days of consecration according to the word of the Lord by Chuck Pierce. Where we're going to consecrate ourselves before the Lord. We're not going to preach. We're not going to teach. We'll probably have some prophetic words. We'll probably, we'll probably have some praying going on. But we're not going to do any preaching. Because all this time is going to be a time of us consecrating ourselves and Florida to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then on Friday night, I will share a little bit when I commission people into their assignments in the state of Florida. And by the way, we have people coming from across the state to this, worship teams coming from across the state to be a part of this. You do not want to miss this. It will start at noon on the 9th and go to 9 o'clock and then Thursday from 9 to 9, Friday from 9 to 9, and Saturday from 9 to noon. That'll give us three full days. Don't miss this. Listen to this. Both with Deborah and Elijah, wise spiritual fathers and mothers, our wise leader, is always building up the generations to take his or her place. They are working themselves out of a job. Now, there's very few ministers that even think about doing that. I think about it all the time. I want to work myself out of a job. I want to raise up sons and daughters who will take on the legacy that God's given me and begin passing and begin working that, and then they become fathers and mothers too to another generation that's being raised up. That's how you have perpetual revival, is it's passed from one generation to the next. In Malachi 4, I just mentioned that. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children. And the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. I never will forget when God began placing on me the heart of a father. I didn't know what to do with it. It was just kind of weird to me because it was taking me into deeper relationship with young men and young women. And uh, that deeper relationship, you know, was something I had longed for, but you don't ever have it most of the time. Uh, in, a, in a setting such as this right here, you never have deep relationship. And I'm talking about deep relationship. I'm not talking about surface relationship. 
I'm not talking about getting with one another every once in a while. And I went to, a friend of mine was doing a commissioning over in Orlando. And they were commissioning several people, ordaining them actually. And he asked me to come. It was his church. And to help prophesy and pray into these people. And I never will forget when I got there and I saw the lineup. I didn't even know this girl at the time. But her name was Shannon Culpepper. And the Lord said to me, he said, I want you to place a father's blessing upon her. He didn't tell me to do it on anybody else but her. And I never will forget that. I went down through all the other people, prophesied over and prayed over. But when I got to her, I released a father's blessing upon her. And since that time, she has identified me as her daughter. That mantle fell on her. She's taken America ablaze in some parts of the other countries. She's going all the time across America to Africa, India, places like that, and releasing the gospel, doing deliverance, healing the sick, saving the lost, all of that stuff. And there was a man there from the vineyard in California, and I didn't know him. And after it was over, he gets up and he starts prophesying to me. He says, you don't realize this, but you have the mantle of a father on you. And you have more authority than you think you have. Something grabbed me. And that was the first time I began embracing who I am as a spiritual father. I began embracing that and saying, this is who I am. Then a few years ago, the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to gather your sons and daughters every so often. And I want you to impart to them the 40 years of ministry I have put in you. I want you to put that in them. And so every so often, I get together with them. And we release an impartation of what God's given me into their life. Listen to this. Let me, have, let me say this. Is that there's some of you here. You need to begin rising up and not just be a good Christian or a good teacher or a good prophet. You need to rise and become a father and mother in the Lord. So that you're leaving a legacy behind. You need to ask God to give you a heart for the generations. Heart for the sons and daughters. People ask me sometimes, says, Ken, will you be my spiritual father? I said, oh, no. I said, for first, one thing, it has to be birthed. It's not something you can just decide to do. It has to be birthed by the Spirit of God. And I tell them, I tell everybody when they want to connect with our network or want to connect as a son and daughter and a father, I say to them, let's just date a little while. Because six months down the road, you may not like me. Not only that, six months down the road, I may not like you. You don't hear that in the church today. <laughs> and, uh, but it's true. <clears throat> These fathers and mothers, listen to this. This is so powerful when this came to me last week. They're breaking illegitimacy. And orphan spirit off the sons and daughters. I watch so many people who have a a spirit of illegitimacy on them. It's a demon, actually, that's on them. They've never broken into freedom to where they're operating in freedom as a son or daughter. I've said it often. I'll say it again today. One of the things I love about my wife, Cheryl, she's comfortable in her skin. She doesn't try to be anybody else. She doesn't want to be anybody else. She doesn't try to do what everybody else does. She com- she's comfortable in her skin. We were in Lowe's yesterday in Rockledge. And uh, 
Cheryl and I were, you know how we'll go back and forth. You guys know more than anybody here. She and I were kind of going back and forth a little bit. It wasn't a fight or anything. It was just she was expressing her opinion, and I was expressing mine. And, uh, and this lady who was at the register, she says, y'all been married a long time, haven't you? <laughs> and I said, yeah, 45 years. She said, I can tell you've been together a long time. <laughs> she said, I like her. She just says it. <laughs> But I've loved that about her, you know, is, and, and I'm not belittling you at all. You know, she, most of the time, she's usually two to three minutes to five minutes late every Sunday. Doesn't bother her a bit. <laughs> Drives me crazy. But doesn't bother me at all. I remember when I first moved to Florida, and I've always been an on-time person, or at least I, most of the time, I'd say 99% of the time, I'm on time. If there's some reason that I'm not, that's why we come here separate cars. And, uh, <laughs> and when I moved to Florida, I started leading a congregation over there in Davenport. And almost everybody was late. I mean, even my worship team. I'm up there playing the guitar, leading worship. My drummer's not there. My bass player's not there. My piano player's not there. None of those are there yet. But I, w- I refused to reward tardiness. And so I just go ahead and start without them. When you get here, come on up there, you know. And I didn't get legalistic to say, if you're not here on time, you can't get up here. And, you know, that's kind of getting a little bit legalistic because I think that you can just try to nudge them over into that. And finally, I did. I nudged them over into being on time. Most of the time, they were right on time, not there early. <clears throat> but one of the things that I had to do when I moved there was I had to begin to break Ill- illegitimacy off the congregation. Had to break it off of their lives. You'll be surprised the different avenues that the enemy moves in to bring illegit- Ill- illegitimacy to the people of God. To make them feel as if though they're an orphan instead of a son or a daughter. You've heard me say it before. I'll say it again. My granddaughter, Kenna, she asked me for anything. I usually wind up giving it to her. Because none of the rest of them asked me. But because she's a daughter and she knows she is. She's a granddaughter, actually. But she has the sense of being a daughter that whatever she asks me, I usually wind up giving it. She asked me for three months this year for a phone. Papa, are you going to get me a phone? Actually, she first texted Cheryl. She said, Grandma, do you think you can talk Papa into getting me a phone? <laughs> and she said, I don't know. Why don't you ask him? And so she would got the boldness enough. She's bold enough that she walks right up and asks me, will you get me a phone? And I said, well, I'll think about it. And so she would text me a couple of days later, have you thought about it? <laughs> Another couple of days later, have you thought about it? But because of her persistence in being a daughter, I went and bought her an iPhone 7, a used one. But I went and bought her an iPhone. I said, now that's your Christmas gift? That's your birthday gift for the next couple of years? That's all of that. Uh, when, when, you come over to our house Christmas, we're going to wrap up the phone, 
and put it under the tree so that you have something to unwrap because you're not going to have anything else to unwrap. But she doesn't have that feeling of being illegitimate. She has the feeling of belonging. This is what God wants his people to begin having. And when you, be, when you get connected, and I'm not talking about you have to connect with me, but everybody needs a spiritual father or mother. When you get connected that way, there is a legitimacy that comes on you. You become legit. You feel like a son. You feel like a daughter. You stand up, you begin saying and doing things you never did before. Because all of a sudden, you're in that place of legitimate, of not illegitimate, but being legit. Now listen to this. True spiritual fathers and mothers are not controlling. And that's very important. I've come across church leaders through the years that aren't spiritual fathers and mothers. And they're very insecure. And so they try to control everybody and everything that goes on with inside the church. Some of you have been a part of that. I used to be one who released that. I used to be that way years ago. I thought it, I, I, there was only one vision in the house, and if there was two vision, there was division. And so I told everybody's on one vision, so, and it's my vision. And then in 2000, I went through a paradigm shift. God began changing me, and he showed me. He said, Ken, everybody in that church has a vision. Everybody in the congregation has a vision. He says, I don't want you to do it for them. I don't even want you to give them a platform. But I want you to empower them to do their vision. Now, you think about this for a moment. If we gave everybody here or the whole body of Christ, the leaders empowered them. Man, get out and do your vision. Do what God's called you to do. Not all of it's going to be in a pulpit. Get out and do what he's told you to do. We'll start reaching our communities for Jesus. Because everybody's doing their vision in the marketplace, in the grocery store, in the schools. They're doing their vision. Their vision is being accomplished outside the four walls of a church. That's what the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher are supposed to do. You read Ephesians 4. You'll see that. They're to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And listen, the work of the ministry is not here. You stand up here and pray, you're praying, but you're not doing your work of the ministry. You get out in the community. Do the work of the ministry out there. You're not being equipped when we teach you how to pray. You're learning how to pray, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I want to teach you how to pray out there. I used to have people at the paper mill I worked at. Once I got saved, there was such a transformation in my life. I used to listen and tell all the dirty jokes, filthy, raunchy jokes. And then on January 17th, 1976, I got saved, and there was a transformation just like that. I went to work the next day. They were saying, what happened to you? What took place? What happened to you? And I said, I got saved. The Lord saved me. Jesus saved me. I had to go through a little bit of persecution during that time. But I still stayed the same Ken Malone except without the sin. So I was still friends. I, I remained friends with all these other guys that were still telling the dirty jokes. When they'd tell a dirty joke, I didn't just jump up and walk out and leave. I don't like hearing it, but I did not want to unfriend them because of their sin. And so, <laughs> sound like Facebook. I'm going to unfriend you. <laughs> and 
it wasn't but a few months, these guys would start coming to me for prayer, for different things. Or they would see me down in the oil room, or see me in the basement, or see me on the mezzanine, or, or, or see me at the rewinder, and all these things, or you don't even know what I'm talking about. But they'd say, will you pray for me? And i just take them by the hand and say, with my eyes open, say a quick prayer right then. You know, and then just go right back to work. And see, that's the, that's the work of the ministry. That's the work of the ministry. Somebody say amen. Thank you for those that are. Spiritual fathers and mothers are not controlling. They're, they are empowering. The relationship between a spiritual father is, and mother is birthed by the Holy Spirit. It's not something you just decide to do. Number two. There are a new breed of sons and daughters that are arising. They are the Joshua and Caleb generation. And this has nothing to do with age, but everything to do with the new wine skin that is forming and the new wine that is being poured out. Can you make the shift? This is important. Joshua and Caleb made the shift, but when they went into Canaan land, how old were they? They were 80 years old. They were no longer, you know... What would they have been? 40 years in the wilderness. They would have been, what, around 40 years then? 40 years old. They were the only two at that age that were able to go in and possess the land from the original crew. But you think about them. It doesn't have anything to do with age. It has everything to do with what's on the inside of you. Are you ready to shift? Are you willing to shift? Chuck Pierce said something when he was here. He talked about that the wineskin shifts every seven years. I never heard this before, but, you know, I've gone through so many wineskin shifts. I don't even, I can't count the number of times. I think I probably doubled up sometimes. And then Pam pointed out to me that this April, Kingdom Gate, from the time that it was um, incorporated until this this April, is... It, runs, it moves into a new seven-year season this coming April from the time that it was incorporated. Not the time that it started, but from the time of incorporation, which is telling me something that the wineskin is going to shift again. And are you ready to make the shift? Can you shift with what the Lord is doing in the earth today? Listen to this. The new breed is able to shift. The sons and daughters are able to shift. Church members will not be able to shift, and I'll talk more about that next week. But sons and daughters will be able to make the shift into the new move of the Holy Spirit that he's going to do in the earth. Here's one of the things I see in on sons and daughters. It's what Joel said. Sons and daughters, guess what they do? They prophesy. I was listening, I was in worship today, and God began rolling over in my mind. <clears throat> Why don't somebody stand up and prophesy? I went over to Pam and said, you got anything? I'm not talking about getting up and telling a story or talking about getting up and praying for people. I'm talking about getting up and prophesying. Have you ever gone out to church? Anybody ever been out to glory of Zion? Who always been out there? Their whole service, from the time that it starts to the time that it's finished, somebody is prophesying. They'll go through a song Songs being sung, they won't even get to the end of it. All of a sudden, bam, Ann Tate's up there prophesying. 
She releases the word of the Lord. Chad Foxworthy. Chad is an incredible uh, prophet on the keyboard. You just haven't heard him that way. He gets on the keyboard. He starts prophesying. Uh, that other girl, I forget her name out there that sings, a blonde-headed girl. She gets to prophesying. Somebody else, Chuck's brother comes up there. He's prophesying. Chuck comes up there and prophesies. They may get two songs in, really and truly. But all of a sudden, the atmosphere is filled with angels. If you ever go to CI, Christian International, Bill Hammond's place, you won't get out of there without somebody prophesying over you. I'm, I'm telling you, that Cheryl and I went there several years ago, and we snuck in the back, and we waited until after it started because we did not want to be seen, and we were sitting on the back row, and somebody saw us. So they made us come to the front, and we had to sit there the entire conference. And every speaker on the platform came down and prophesied. I was having RPU, Revelation pileup, and it, we were overloaded with prophetic words and revelation. And this is a kind of new wineskin I believe that the Lord is going to begin forming in us in 2019. And, and, and we're not just going to get up here and say, I see Jesus standing before us. That's not a prophetic word. Prophetic word unlocks the heavens. Prophetic word has authority. Prophetic word shifts the atmosphere. Prophetic words open, opens gates. Prophetic words give direction. Prophetic words give encouragement. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all of mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. You see, I want my sons and daughters to prophesy. I just don't, I want, I don't want them to live just normal Christian lives and be a nice Christian. I want them prophesying. I want them standing in the gates and prophesying. I want them to prophesy into people and into lives. I'm talking about real prophetic words. Like, like, now, here's a word that I couldn't receive if you came and prophesied to me. You said, Brother Ken, you're just like a butterfly. <laughs> I am not. Now, if you said I was an eagle, I would receive that. But I'm not a little butterfly floating around I'm an eagle soaring that's what I'm doing you can be a butterfly if you want to and if you're going to prophesy a butterfly word prophesy it to yourself <laughs> this is good I want my sons and daughters prophesying I want my sons and daughters dreaming dreams having visions you see this is how the early church was led they were not led by a bunch of men who got together and tried to figure things out these men got together women got together and they got before God and they let God figure it out and when God spoke that was what was released this is what God says I've often found it amazing Acts 13 where the, the prophets have gathered the teachers have gathered the apostles have gathered and all of a sudden they're ministering to the Lord they're fasting you ever thought about that how they're ministering to the Lord you know I don't know what they were doing but I can just imagine this right here you are so worthy you're so worthy Jesus see this is a place we've got to get to not this place Lord I really need your help 
Lord, would you come and do something for me? place we got to get to is, Father, you're so good. Your mercy endures forever. I've already decided in the three days of consecration, I actually was going to fast food. But the Lord spoke to me Tuesday night and said, I want you to fast all electronics for three days. My phone, is, my Cheryl's going to have my phone. And she's going to cut it off and then check it one time a day. If there's any, if you need me, you call the office or you call Cheryl. Oh, by the way, the office will be closed during that time as well. So, you know, there's no use in you calling the office. Don't call the office. Because you'll be surprised how much that phone and that iPad and that computer is hindering us. It has hindered us so much that now relationships are built on Facebook, on Livegram or Snapgram or something like that, whatever it's called. <laughs> That's how relationships are built now. They're not built anymore one-on-one. Let's build a relationship, okay? How are you today? That's how we've been building relationships. It's not how you build relationships. Build relationships getting together. We're so busy now that we think that we don't have time. You'd be surprised all the time that you do have when you get off that phone and off that computer and off that iPad. All right. I will. Thank you. The Lord is raising a new breed of sons and daughters among us. They don't think like the old wineskin. They don't look like the prior wineskin. They are called to possess the gates of the enemy. And there's a generation of sons and daughters that is emerging, both old and young. Let me say this again. There's a generation of sons and daughters that are emerging, both young and old. Don't think that it's just young people. I'll share more about this when I get to the gray-haired warriors. That God is raising up right now to possess the land. They don't think churchy. They think, how can we take the Space Coast for God? How can I take Florida for the Lord? How can I impact this nation? You see, God, here's one of the wineskins. I'll talk more about it in another message. One of the wineskins that God is shifting Kingdom Gate into is away from a local church wineskin into a kingdom wineskin that focuses on the state of Florida and not on our little bitty crew. Be like Trump, I clap for myself. <laughs> These sons and daughters, both young and old, some of these sons and daughters will be in their 80s. Some will be in their teens and points in between. They're going to prepare the way very quickly. What has taken us years to accomplish, they'll accomplish in two months. What has taken us six months to accomplish, they'll accomplish it in a day. Because of what's being handed down to them through the mothers and the fathers. These sons and daughters, they don't have a lot of hang-ups because when you get illegitimacy broken off of you, you get healed. Oh, that's a good one there. I could, Cheryl. These sons and daughters are healed and they don't have a lot of junk. They're not carrying a lot of baggage. 
They're healed. They're walking as healed. They're not walking in the sins of the previous generation or the previous wineskins. They're willing to follow. They're willing to lead by, be led by a spiritual father or mother. I want to talk about the gray-haired warriors. This is another thing I see God forming in the church today, and I'd say most of us here are dyed hair, gray-haired, and no hair. We fit one of those categories, don't we, Joe? Gray hair and dye hair, no hair. Warriors. God is raising up today in a new way. These are going to be Joshua and Caleb's too. The Lord is raising up a Joshua generation of seniors. These are 60 to 90 years old. That will partner with the Lord to acquire and implement Holy Spirit's purpose in the earth. Many of these will work side by side with the younger generation. And when I said that, let me share this with you. I don't plan on raising up somebody to pa pass a baton to them when I'm gone. I'm going to bring them up beside me now. I'm going to push them out ahead of me. This is what Paul did with Timothy. It wasn't but one time we see in the scriptures where, or actually twice, uh, Moses and Joshua and then Elijah and Elisha. You saw them receive the mantle after they were gone. But when you get to the New Testament, the mantle is passed to the generation while they're there and sent out from that father or mother. It's a good word there. <clears throat> They're going to partner with the Lord to acquire and implement Holy Spirit's purpose in the earth. This generation of gray hair warriors is important to the coming move of God. Don't you think for a moment that the Lord will release the coastal awakening apart from them? Talking about the gray hair warriors. I see a lot of the young people think that it's all about them. Thing is, when you start saying that, God's going to show you that it's not all about you. There's another generation that has gone before you that God is going to use. That's important that you get that. Joshua and Caleb were both in their 80s during the Canaan land move of God. Both of them were. At 80 years old, Caleb said, give me my mountain. His mountain had more giants on it than any other mountain in Israel, in Canaan land. He wanted that mountain Moses had promised him. And he says, I am at 80. He said, I am well able to possess this. Now, listen, listen to me just for a moment. Those of you that are 60 and over and those of you that are approaching that. God does not want us to begin whining that we can't do anything anymore because we're old and we can't move like we used to move and we can't function like we used to function. Get that out of your life. Begin decreeing what God says you are. Begin prophesying what God says you are. Next year I'm having Gerald Durstein come and speak to us. It's Pam Durstein's um, uncle. Yeah, you heard of him? Know him? Powerful man of God, especially in the 60s, 70s, part of the 80s. Had a great move of God in the West Bank among the Palestinians. He's got a story that tells all about it. I want this gray-haired warrior to impart to us. That's why I'm bringing him over. Because I want that man to lay hands on everybody here and impart to us in Jesus' name. A couple of years ago, he lost his wife. His wife went home to be with the Lord. And just this year, he remarried. And he robbed the cradle. He married a 75-year-old girl. He's 90. See, this, this, is, this is a way of thinking like he has 
I can still do this. Let's possess the land. Don't you? Help me, Lord, to be nice. You know, I'm in that category, 69, so I can talk about us. I do not like hearing all the excuses that we make. Yeah. I'm in that category from 60 to 90. Help me, Jesus. Thank you. I don't want to hear from you. Your problems and your whining and your complaining just because you're old. You are a warrior. You are more than a conqueror. God needs you to arise, not demise, but to arise and be who he's called you to be. Step up to the plate. It's time to do the work of the ministry. Well, I'm too old to do that. No, you're not. You're not too old. Matter of fact, you're seasoned. You're just right. Wow. Some among us have been part of the former precious moves of Holy Spirit, such as the Voice of Healing movement. Catherine Kuhlman, Oral Roberts, Gordon Lindsay, William Branham. Jesus movement, that's where I got saved. I've been a part of the Jesus movement, the charismatic movement, the faith movement, the prayer movement, the prophetic movement, and now the apostolic movement. And now Chuck is beginning to tell us prophesy a watchman prophet movement has begun in the earth. You know, he gave us that assignment. You go and listen to the message. He gave us the assignment of releasing the watchman prophet movement in this nation. I texted him last Friday. I said, we're doing this on the uh, January 9th through the 12th. And, uh, he, and this is a simple few words. Thank you for obeying. That was it. Thank you for obeying. Because many people get those kind of words and they don't do anything with them. But when a prophet of that statue releases a word to you, you better rise up and do it. Because if you do, you'll gain momentum. If you don't, you'll postpone. Psalm 71, 18, even when I'm old and gray, oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. Listen to that. He's saying, God, I don't want to go out of here without declaring your strength to this generation and your power to all who are to come. Psalms 92, 12 through 14, the righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap. Well, I love this. And very green. Come on, somebody. Can I get a witness? This is an awesome, awesome word. You gray-haired warriors, it's time for you to rise up, not to sit down. It's time for you to be who God's called you to be. Just 
push all your negative thinking out of the way and the people who try to control you to keep you from being what the Lord's called you to be in the past, push that out of the way and let's go forward in Jesus' name. Brother Ken, I have some problems. Get them out of your life then. Get them out of your life. That's my counsel to you. I need some counseling, Brother Ken. Deal with it. Get it out of your life. Command it to go in Jesus' name. Those sins of the generations rise up inside of you. You begin saying, in the name of Jesus, I will not allow the sins of my dad, my granddad, and my great-granddad to come into my life. I break those off in Jesus' name. I will not walk that way. You break those off. You start rising up. Begin changing who you are by the confession of your faith. All right. Next one. This is going to go over well in Brevard County, I know. Apostolic women arising. I read the book that Linda and Chuck wrote. And it's stuff that I've been saying for years. I'm, I'm so glad that they caught up. <laughs> I've been saying this for years. That women can do just as much ministry as men can. And if you don't think so, you've not been reading the same Bible. I was overwhelmed by that book, Apostolic Women Arising. And all you women need to read that. And all you men need to read that book. Because you'll see the empowerment that God is giving to women in this hour. He says here, and we read it earlier, that daughters will prophesy. In other words, he's saying daughters will be prophets. He says, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all of mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men dream dreams. Even on my bondservants, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, wait a minute. It was just meant for men. The Lord really wasn't talking about women were to prophesy. He was just, that's, that's for men. Haven't you read that for the women to keep solid in the church? You need to go and read that again and read it in the Greek. If you would, get Chuck's and Linda's book. Because it will really lay it out for you. That that was not what Paul meant. Some of it was that a woman is not to disciple another man. In other words, discipleship is intimate relationship. And so a woman is not to go into intimate relationship with a man unless the man has his wife with him. I'm going to add that to it. And if he has his wife with him, then they can, all three of them can enter into that relationship together. But there needs to be that accountability. Sons and daughters are going to prophesy. There are women apostles also. Let me just pause and back up here just for a moment. I have always been amazed at Mike and Cindy Jacobs. Mike, uh, Mike is kind of around the edges and supports Cindy. But Mike also pushes Cindy into that place. If you've ever seen them behind the scenes, which I have, Cindy never does anything outside of Mike being in agreement with her. I know them very well, been places with them, sit at meals together. And she's all, she'll, I've heard her say this, the Lord's been speaking this to me, but Mike, I want to know what you think, because I don't want to do it if you don't think we should. They're just like a team 
working together. But she's at the forefront being a prophet to the nations. And I love this about her. And God is raising up today apostolic women. Women apostles. Here's what Paul said in Romans 16 verse 7. Make sure that my relatives, Andronicus and Junia, are honored. For they are my fellow captives. They were in jail together, in other words. Who bear the distinctive mark of being outstanding and well-known apostles. He identifies Junia as an apostle. And I love this. And he says, who were joined into the anointed one before me, meaning that they were saved before he was. He identified Junia as being a well-known and outstanding apostle along with her husband, who was an apostle also. Women prophesying again, verse number three. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who... What they do? Prophesied. They prophesied. They were prophetesses. And they prophesied the word of the Lord. Where'd they do it? In the body of Christ, in the community. That's where they prophesy. You really want to get real in prophesying? You read somebody's mail at McDonald's, you don't even know. I've done that before. And I don't just all the time do it. I've had God, it's, God has to really speak to me because I'm not a prophet. I'm prophetic, but I'm not a prophet. But there have been times that I have walked into McDonald's and spoke to someone, and God would say, turn around and join yourself to them. I want to talk to them. And I've turned right around and sat with them where they were eating and prophesied the word of the Lord to them. I've prophesied to people over at, at um, what was that restaurant in Lakeland? Ryan's Restaurant. Place that prophesied to a waitress. I saw Cindy Jacobs. Cheryl and I took her and Mike to the Columbia Restaurant over in Celebration. You ever get a chance to go there? It's a great restaurant. We're sitting there, and all of a sudden, our waitress comes up, and Cindy looks at him, and she starts prophesying to this kid right there in the restaurant. I'm being blown away at how these prophets can just prophesy just like that. They have the ability to do that. I don't. I'm prophetic. I'm, my gift is apostle. I'm prophetic, but I'm not a prophet. Prophets can prophesy anytime, anywhere. And after she prophesied to this guy, he's in tears, and she says to him, She calls his name. Would you like to get saved today and give your heart and life to Jesus? Not only now has she prophesied to him, now she's leading to the Lord as an evangelist. She's using both of those gifts. She leads this kid to the Lord right there in Columbia Restaurant. And I'm just sitting there just glowing and and amazed at what God was doing in and through this woman. You see, the There are women apostles, there are women prophets, there are women pastors, there are women who are in government, in the government of God within the church, and Bavar County needs to suck it up and get over this male-dominated Christianity. That'd go over well. But that's the way we've been. Only men in the ministry. Nope. Not anymore. God's raising up a new breed. There are also, and this will be my last one here, as last half of this page. There are a new breed of pioneers that are forming. There's always been pioneers. But when one pioneer has gone as far as they can go, God raises up another because you have to go farther than that. 
And so he's raised up a pi pioneers that have taken us so far, but now he's raising up a new breed of pioneers. This is important. He's forming this new breed of pioneers because the new wineskin is forming. Anytime you begin doing something new, you have to have a new way of thinking. Just like at NASA. I've watched NASA over the last several years shift in their paradigms. And so what they do now, they're getting ready to go to the moon again in 2022. So they're getting ready to launch it again in a whole different way. But what they had to do, they had to, no, no, they didn't just get rid of the old pioneers, they had to bring new pioneers in. And those new pioneers are standing on the shoulders of the former pioneers. That's what they're doing. They bring in a new way of thinking. They bring in a new way of design. Everything about it is new. And if, and if you're not careful, this is what God's doing today in the church. And if you're not careful, you won't like the new. Because to you, the old is better. That's the, it is. That is. We think the old is better. I want to define para, uh, pioneer for you. This is out of Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary. In the art and practice of war, one whose business is to march with or before the army, to repair the road or clear it of obstructions, work at entrenchments, or form mines for destroying the enemy's work, one that goes before to remove the obstructions or prepare the way for another. I love this definition. I looked up the definition. God was speaking to me one time about the, in the army, they have what's called the forward observer. And the forward observer goes out ahead of all the troops that's going in, disguises himself, maybe go in among the people, or they may just plant themselves into the scenery, like with a ghillie suit or something like that. They plant themselves in there, and they see and hear what the enemy's doing, and then they relay that back somehow to the army that's getting ready to approach so that the army already knows what the enemy has planned. That was called the forward observer. And pioneer is somewhat like that. At dictionary.com, the pioneer is defined as a person who is among those who first enter or settle a region, thus open it for occupation and development by others. One who is first or among the earliest in any field of inquiry, enterprise, or progress. One of a group of foot soldiers detailed to make roads, dig entrenchments in advance of the main body. Now, Cheryl and I know what a little bit about being a pioneer in the natural, and that when we built our house in, in Alabama there back in the 70s, we had to clear the property. And all we had was an axe, a chainsaw, and a truck. I showed you the property on Google Maps the other day. And it was all overgrown. Everything was plum thickets and, and, and uh, trees everywhere. And we went in there by hand, she and I, along with, we had four kids at the time too. Not, well, the boys wasn't there yet. We had two kids, with two small kids. And we began pioneering that property, preparing a way for Ken and Cheryl to live there. It took us several months of doing this. And we got all that property cleared off, and then we moved our mobile home in there. We had a mobile home. But then it came to a point where, you know, it's time for us to move on up. Moving on up. It's time for us to move on up, so let's get rid of this, double, uh, this uh, mobile home, and let's build us a house here. And so we did. And the whole time, we're improving the property the entire time. 
And uh, I still love living in the country. I've got to get back there one day because that was country living, and I love country living. But a pioneer is someone who prepares the way, and there's a new breed of pioneer that's coming forth right now because of the new wineskin that's emerging upon us. This new wineskin is going to require new ways of thinking. This is what I loved about Peter Wagner. Again, I've watched him in roundtable settings shift his mind to a different way of thinking. He was thinking this way, and all of a sudden, he, he listens to someone. He says, I'm going to do that. And he would shift it just like that. He would not stay in an old place that he had been, an old paradigm. He began to identify years ago. He wasn't even charismatic until his later years. He started identifying the moves of God in the charismatic church before everybody knew what the word charismatic was. He saw them as moves of God. Number three. It's a, vo a voice is calling, clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the pioneer in Isaiah 40. This is what John the Baptist was. This is what Elijah was. We're going to talk more about them later on. But both of them were pioneers. John the Baptist prepared the way of the Lord for Jesus. And actually Malachi, the third chapter, verse 1, talks about John the Baptist before he ever gets on the scene. He's being prophesied about 400 years prior. And he says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to the temple, even the messenger of the covenant. John the Baptist became one who prepared the way. He even fulfilled Isaiah 40, crying out in the wilderness, Make a place for the Lord. Change the way that you think. And this is what we've got to do as we approach 2019. We've got to begin making a place for the Lord. Change our paradigms. Change the way that we think. We're not going to go into 2019 with the old paradigm that Kingdom Gate has had. We're going to move into a brand new paradigm of possessing the land, becoming who the, the prophets, Cindy and Chuck and Jane, have said. We're going to start initiating plans to move in that direction. So watch in 2019 through the whole year as we make shifts to do things differently here in Jesus' name. Amen? All right. 